If you have been learning from the Be The Bridge podcast, our work, I want you to consider becoming a financial partner today. And the other way you can become a financial partner is by shopping our store. You can sport our apparel to uh, represent what Be The Bridge stands for. And this donation goes to a special cause. And so just a reminder, um, our vision is seeing that all are equipped to flourish through expanding our reach and continuing to spread the good news of social justice. Um, we are able to pursue this vision and fulfill our mission of empowering people and culture toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial reconciliation through your generous donor support. So thank you for supporting all that Be The Bridge does. Thank you for giving to us. And just remember, we're not the only way, we're just one way to get us on the path to racial equity, racial healing, and racial reconciliation. Thank you so much for your support. We want to learn a little bit more about our Be The Bridge podcast family. We've created a quick survey for you to fill out. Make sure to click on the show notes and you will find the survey link at the end. Be The Bridge, Be The Bridge. You are listening to the Be The Bridge podcast with Latasha Morrison. How are you guys doing today? It's exciting. Each week, Be The Bridge podcast tackles subjects related to race and culture with the goal of bringing understanding but I'm going to do it in the spirit of love. We believe understanding can move us toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial unity. Latasha Morrison is the founder of Be The Bridge, which is an organization responding to racial brokenness and systemic injustice in our world. This podcast is an extension of our vision to make sure people are no longer conditioned by a racialized society, but grounded in truth. If you have not hit the subscribe button, please do so now. Without further ado, Let's begin today's podcast. Oh, and stick around for some important information at the end. Pastor Stephanie Williams O'Brien is the lead pastor at Mill City Church in Northeast Minneapolis. She is also a professor of ministry at Bethel University and Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. Stephanie has opportunities to coach leaders around the world through developing resources in through speaking and her podcast, Lee Stories, that she does with her friend, Joe Saxton. She is a sought-after leadership coach, helping women and men to be intentional with their influence in all aspects of their life. Pastor Stephanie is passionate about her communities and individuals participating in the mission of God to the world. Her first book was released in the fall of 2019 called Stay Curious, How Questions and Doubts Can Save Your Faith. Her latest book is Make a Move, How to Stop Wavering and Make Decisions in a Disorienting World. Be the Bridge family, I am here with Pastor Stephanie O'Brien. She is the lead pastor at Mill City Church. And I am so excited to have you here today. I mean, I'm so excited to be here. I know. We've we've known each other for a while. I've been on your podcast a couple times and yep. um, got a chance to have um, lunch or dinner with you when I was on my first trip to Minnesota. Yeah, and it was um, negative degrees here when you came. Do you remember that? Yeah, and I hear Can't now. I hear now it's like plus degrees. <laughs> it's hot. It's hot. It's, hot. it's plus degrees. <laughs> tell tell them how hot it is in Minnesota right now as we speak. It is ninety five degrees, and the humidity says that it feels like one hundred and three. Wow. People just found out. Some people just found out it gets that hot in Minnesota right now. I but know. it isn't. It's unusual. It's not usually this hot, especially not for so long, and not in June. So. Wow. You know, but nothing normal has been happening in Minnesota in these last couple of years. That's, yes, that's the truth. nothing normal. And I, let's say across <laughs> the world, nothing normal. Yeah, yeah there's I mean, no normal 2021 has not been normal. Nothing, nothing is normal. <laughs> Maybe it helped us give up the idea that there is a normal. Yes. I mean, when I was there, there were like frozen lakes and I was freaked out about <laughs> seeing a frozen lake. I mean, did you walk on one? No, I was afraid. Oh, I was too afraid. I'm going to get you out there. I, I went to the edge. 
And then it was like, you know, where it's still like snowy. And so yeah. my foot started sneaking, um, uh, like kind of slipping in the snow. And I was just afraid that it was like, oh, no, I don't know if this ice can hold me up. <laughs> people people drive their cars on it and stuff. I know. I saw that. And I was just, I, it's something in my head. I, I'll have to come back and try it. And uh, because we were... Um, I was with someone, but it was like they they weren't from Minnesota, and um, the other person that was was with us that was from Minnesota was driving the car and finding a place to park, and we were just we ran out there really quick, and so <laughs> I'll have to try it, but I'm telling you, uh, but we, we got to make sure y'all have a really good cold winter <laughs> first. Yeah, <laughs> oh, all, it always freezes. Well, I I can't wait to be there. I'm gonna document it on Instagram when you. Oh do yeah, it. yeah, yeah. You may have to because I'm gonna be screaming. <laughs> well, listen, you have been doing a lot of incredible work. Um, you wrote a book, you pastor in a church, you're leading, um, you know, groups of women. Like, tell us a little bit about who Pastor Stephanie is and uh, what do you want people to know about you? Yeah, well, you know, first and foremost, I... I'm someone that just is trying to be on the heels of Jesus. That's what I'm about. That's who right. I am. You know, daughter of the king, obviously. That's that's what I'm all about, kingdom stuff. And I, I love thinking of, of my job description as having like a kingdom job description. Mm. I've got some, you know, there's some human beings that give me some job descriptions at the places that I serve. But <laughs> at the end of the day, like, what is my kingdom of God job description? And wow. that... I don't get paid for all that stuff. Some of it's yeah. being a good auntie. Yeah. But um, yeah, I I am a wife to JD. We got married in our 30s. So we got uh-huh. some stories about trying oh, to figure yeah. out how to merge, try to merge two lives <laughs> in adulthood. Um, but it's going good. We, uh, we've we got two really energetic Springer Spaniels. I know you're a dog person too. Yes. Um, they uh-huh. are off the wall. And I think, you know... That's probably all the children we need. Um, but we, we love kids. We don't plan on having our own kids, but we get to spend a lot of time with lots of different kids. And um, besides my niece and nephew, I mean, my church, Mill City Church, it's in urban Minneapolis. We've got so many kids, and they are so cute. I mean, I can have whatever one I want to hold. People are ready to give them to me. They say, here, you have this kid. You hold this kid. You can take this kid all day long. So I love kids. Uh, my church, Mill City, uh, I helped plant it. I'm a church planter. Started in 2008, and okay. we worship in a in a public school, and we've been mm-hmm. there since then. Had a brief stint where we've been out of there for the pandemic because the schools all shut down. Um, right. But we're going to be going back in there in the fall, which we're excited about. And not, not I saw your church. video. I saw yeah, did your you video. see that? Yeah, yeah. when you're going back. Yeah. And all these people, you know, we've got a few hundred people. Man, they're just so excited to go back into a building that's not even ours. It just shows like their heart. I mean, it just shows their heart. Right, like, right. And right. The, and the school is a, is a school that experiences a lot of challenges. The public schools in in the Twin Cities do. Right. Um, actually, here in in Minnesota, in, in the Twin Cities, which when I say Twin Cities, I mean Minneapolis and St. Paul, um, we have one of the the largest education gaps racially in the wow. country. And so there's a lot of struggles. And so for us, we've got a lot of things that our church is a part of, but being a part of the public school system and how we can be be Jesus to people there has been key. Um, mm-hmm. We helped found a nonprofit called Every Meal that jumped wow. out of our church and started with us trying to figure out how to make sure that the kids had food over the weekend. And wow. we were able to do that for our whole school. And then... My younger brother actually said, wait, I bet a bunch of churches could do this in the schools they're partnering with. And Mm. long story short, he launched it out as a nonprofit and 270 schools are sponsored by every mail now. Isn't that nuts? Oh my goodness. (laughs) No, it's crazy. All of this started with a congregation size of 100. Yeah. I'm just telling you. (laughs) I mean, small, small groups of people can do mighty things. It's so true. I love it. I love it. So Mill City's now that we're 13 years old, maybe like 400, 500 people, but we were just a little church and we started that and wow. um, yeah, God can do amazing things. So we've been, we've been doing some awesome stuff here. I also get the chance to teach at Bethel Seminary, which is here yeah. in St. Paul, Minnesota, uh-huh. Minneapolis and St. Paul are real close to each other. And um, that's been a real gift for me uh, to be able to be a part of empowering and equipping the the pastors of the next generation. Yeah. I primarily teach preaching there actually, and okay. some of the leadership courses. And okay. um, do a podcast with your friend and mine, Joe Saxton, the Lead yes. Stories podcast. So that's been a, been a right. blast. Uh, We've been doing that for How five, do y'all get five and a half years. Today? 
how do you guys get any work together done? Like you and Joe together. Joe and I. Like, here's yeah. the key. Here's the key. All we do is push record while we're having conversations we would already have. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> People say, how do you prepare? What's your plan? I'm like, oh, we just press record and start talking about the topic and see what happens. <laughs> just see where it goes. How long have y'all known each other? We've known each other for maybe nine years now, maybe okay. almost 10. It's crazy. Okay. And when we okay. first met, she didn't live in, in Minnesota. And then okay. we were connected over online, like like you and I are talking now. And we were doing Zoom before it was a cool thing that everybody yep. did. Uh-huh. Um, and then she moved to Minnesota for a job that she doesn't she's had for a little while, doesn't do that anymore. And um, then we got to be, you know, geographically close and and then became, you know, really close friends. Joe is one of my my best friends and confidants, and I've learned more than from her than I could possibly express. Oh, I love it! I love it. Yeah, and I I know that you're you you know Minnesota has had um, a tough um, few years. I mean, um, and specifically, you know, the um, African American, the Black community there, yep. and I mean, mm-hmm. just even recently, um, just all the things. And so, one of the things that a lot of people know about Philando, I got a chance when I was there to mm-hmm. um, visit his memorial area and um, mm-hmm. the George Floyd, um, and then you know, recently Dante, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, um, and so it's just so many hashtags. And how are you dealing with this as a church and um, maybe personally, you know, what are some things that have been going through your mind? How how have you been engaged with it and how maybe has your church or um, yeah. churches in the community been engaged? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, on one hand, it's just so devastating and heartbreaking that this is what's mm-hmm. happening here in our city. Um, and it's not new. It's not new right. that there's been police brutality. We just have it on tape more often now, mm-hmm. um, have it recorded. But at the same time, it's really heartening to see how a lot of, of the followers of Jesus have responded. Wow. Um, being people of help and hope and, and prophetic voices and honest. And um, it's been really incredible. Um, so Dante Wright was murdered just blocks from the elementary school I went to. Mm-hmm. And uh, George Floyd's murder was just a couple miles from my house. I live in Minneapolis in the city. And um, yeah, when things are that close to home, you know, it 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 changes you. It changes you, you know, as yeah. a person. And um, the hashtags have been, I mean, with Philando and Jamar Clark, and they've, mm-hmm. they've all made an impact. And mm-hmm. when we set out to start our church, you know, our, we had a few commitments from the beginning, and one of them was was racial reconciliation. Mm. Um, as a as a group of predominantly white people starting a church in right. in a city, um, but for us that looked like listening and learning. That started mm. with us saying, "How do we come to physically go to black mm-hmm. churches, to African churches, to Latino churches, and listen and learn and uh, come with open hands and say, how can we serve and how can mm. we be be partners." And so having those partnerships for the last 13 years sure does change the dynamic, right? Because then it's mm-hmm. not, it's happening to those people. It's happening to, to us, our people, us. Right. We are, we might be different churches that worship in different locations. And Minnesota's churches are, are really segregated since lots mm-hmm. of the different places we, the, geogra- the geography is segregated. Um, but my church, you know, has learned so much. And I, I like, you know, I feel like the word submits going out of style, but <laughs> right. submitting ourselves to the leadership of mm. the, the leaders of color in the Twin Cities, mm-hmm. that to me is the first step. Right. Because Oof. if that willingness to not say that if the willingness to to lay down the power and authority that I have, which I do. I right. mean, if you got the title pastor, you have it. Yeah. If you are a white woman like I am, you have it. If you're in mm-hmm. the middle class, I mean, I could go on and on. Right. So laying that down. <laughs> You know, uh-huh. I think of it as laying it down at the foot of the cross. Right, right. Uh-huh. And saying, okay, what is, now that I've laid it down, do I have hands ready to receive what it is that I can learn, what God has for me in these relationships? And then where do we go from there? And so the, I, to be honest, these pastors have, have changed who I am and their congregations, but, but really seeing that the, these folks, you know, I think of Pastor Daryl Gillespie, he's over here in North Minneapolis. I think of that man as like one of my pastors when he's 
when he's teaching and he's speaking out, when he's talking, I think he's somebody that pastors me. Uh, my my, I always call him my cousin Edrin Williams. Uh, he, we're cousins because my maiden my maiden name's Williams. Oh yeah, <laughs> and and we could not look more different. <laughs> right, right. I know Edwin. I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah, and he's so good. And and uh, these folks have just changed who I am. Pastor Nicole Bullock. I could list a million names because it's an intentional choice to seek out this and, and welcome the authority of leaders in your life. Yeah. And so it would be for me to say, here's some stuff my church did. I mean, sure. But the beginning of it is myself and the other leaders of my church and my church itself have submitted ourselves to the voices of leaders of color in the Twin Cities and beyond. And that looks like welcoming in folks to preach. That looks like folks of color in my congregation, preaching and teaching, mm-hmm. leading, being up front, having roles of authority. It mm-hmm. looks like my elder board being diverse in every type of diversity, mm-hmm. um, making sure that there's age representation and gender representation and ethnic background representation. Um, and for us, when all of this has happened, it was really critical to me that when, for instance, when George Floyd was murdered, which of course shook the entire world, Mm-hmm. differently than maybe Philando that didn't maybe go global. Mm-hmm. We didn't say anything we had never said before. Mm. And that was really critical because if yeah. it was the moment we decided to begin the conversation, mm. let's just say it would have gone very differently in my church. Right. And so I wouldn't want to say anything like, all you have to do is say this and this and this, or do this and this and this, because that's not going to work. It has to be a part of your heartbeat Yes. when there isn't a main hashtag filling the screen. It has to be a part of what you're about. And so for my congregation, it has just always been a part of it. And it doesn't mean sometimes there's still people who, like you always say, it's not for everybody. Some people, they're not going to be a part of it. So we've got folks that sometimes, you know, head out Mm -hmm. because they feel like it's too hard. But we've been talking for for years that Mm -hmm. this racial justice is a lifelong commitment and calling that we have together and as white people have specific role in. So to to speak up and to talk about God's heart in the midst of the tragedies that happened in this last year, um, it didn't require us to say anything we hadn't said. And I think that was critical in this time. You were already doing the work. I love that. And that's exactly why um, I wanted you on the podcast to really talk because, you know, um, this is not about a moment, but it's about a lifestyle. Um, This is not about, you know, a short-term commitment. This is about conviction. And what I've seen, uh, what has led you is that a conviction. This is the foundation. This is a value um, for your church. And um, one of the things I love what you were saying when you were talking about submitting to um, pastors of color, but you were saying going and visiting and going into those spaces. And I think that's the new thing. Um, I was just talking to someone and they were um we were just talking about what what is it going to take? Because I think so many times white pastors can focus on how do I make my church more diverse? Or how do right. I get people of color to come to my church? And I'm like, well, what, why won't you just go and visit their churches? Why don't you establish partnerships? Like, right. you know, right. and I love that because sometimes um, those environments are not conducive, you know, for, uh, especially if you haven't done any work. But I think the partnerships, I mean, showing like locking arms and showing the community, you know, one global church, you know, um, that has many different expressions is, yeah. is, is really also a part of the answer, you know? Right. Um, and so I love, um, what you're doing in that, you know, I think it's a different way for people to look at things. And I love your leadership and how you're leading. And we're just in some crazy, um, times where it's, um, it is disoriented and mm-hmm. and I and I wanted to have you on too because I think what you're doing and who you are um is very hopeful. It's very hopeful mm-hmm. um to BIPOC people to hear this mm-hmm. because right now we're in this crazy season where it was kind of like this awakening. And you know after awakening there's this pushback, there's this discord, yep. there's yep. rejection. Um it's historical. You know, right. we know that. Um, but it's not everyone. And sometimes the 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 loudest voices are sometimes the wrong voices, you know. Well that's it. Yeah. And and so I just wanted also our community to hear that there are churches, you know, we hear about see things what's happening in Minnesota and um, and and with all the different hashtags. um, But to hear about how um, 
the community, the churches are coming together and yeah. locking arms. It may not be everyone, no. but how, you know, at least Mill City Church is, well, yeah. you know, and, <laughs> and, and some uh, other ones are doing yeah. it. Yeah, and some, and some other predominantly white churches, too, that have, yeah. have said, hey, maybe instead of praying that our church becomes more diverse, let's pray that we're people that would actually be safe for, for folks to come in. <laughs> like, yeah, Let's start doing it. that, you know. And it. We took some of the, the work that Be the Bridge has done on whiteness and just started hosting white whiteness classes, introduction wow. to whiteness. Wow. <laughs> you know, wow. and wow. we no, we created some spaces for the BIPOC folks to, yeah. to mostly support, of course, yeah. led by leaders of color. Mm-hmm. But as a white pastor, I just said, who wants to learn about this? I'm I'm trying and yeah. I'll do it with you. Let's join in. And we had in our little church, we had over 80 people sign up for this class just wow. in a few months. Wow. And we went through some of the resources that you all have on and, you know, made sure everybody bought that PDF, though. Yeah. Y'all, y'all <laughs> everybody it. get your own copy. Okay? Yes. Go to the website. <laughs> but but watching people have, uh, I mean, you know, we were on Zoom because it was during yeah. this last year. Yeah. But you could see in people's faces having this realization Mm-hmm. Oh, so when we talk about white supremacy, we're not talking just about white supremacists. Exactly. Oh, and and working through some of the things and helping say, okay, it's okay if there's maybe some feelings of ownership and guilt, but not shame. How do we move out of that? What does yes. it look like? Yes. How do we address our fragility? How do we and and me saying I'm doing it with you. I, I'm with you in this. I'm not right. telling you how to do something that I figured out. But and then saying to everyone, I know this feels uncomfortable. But this is a choice that we can make to stay in this tension. Yeah. And it matters to people. Because and, if we cannot uh, center the whiteness but confront it, then we can actually be people who create a space where we could have these dialogues among difference. Yeah, I love that. And I love how you're leading with. Hmm. You're leading with, you know, it's like you're saying, hey, I don't have all the answers. I don't even have all the resources, but I can point us to some resources. I yep. love that. Yep. I love that. I mean, I mean, what would you say to some other pastors now um, that have, and I know this is work that you've done for a while. So you've been yeah. grooming your um your community like this? How have you groomed your community? Because I know you've had some challenges, but what would you say to encourage other pastors who um, are, you know, this getting pushback where they can't even Mm -hmm. use the word Mm -hmm. white supremacy or just even to the to say white response or um, fragility is like a no-no, you know, right yeah. now. It's like, you're trying to make me feel, you're trying to shame me, you're trying to yeah. bash me. What would mm-hmm. you say to some of those pastors now? Yeah, that's a good question. And I've had those conversations with other white folks that <laughs> right. are struggling, you know, and, and I, I think on my best days, the Holy Spirit gives me compassion for how someone got mm. to where they're at and, wow. and, and hope for where they need to go. But, you know, for a pastor who's feeling that in their congregation, I, I often think of the the uh, tipping point principle, the idea that if 20% of people in a community begin to get the, get a vision of something, there's a tipping point and it spreads. And so I would encourage people to take those conversations out of the pulpit and into, into the spaces of that feel like they're level ground. I mean, speaking of power, you know, having Mm -hmm. a pulpit, it's not a, that's not a dialogue, that's a monologue. Mm. And whether we're, whatever we're preaching about, if we're if we know our our community has diversity amongst that area as far as how they're receiving it, which is true of anything, um, I think there's a sense of how can we have some of these conversations in spaces that are going to help folks be able to ask questions, be able to push back, you know, in a healthy way, be able to say I don't understand what you're saying. Um, one of the things that I've done, and and I'll be honest, my community we can talk about those things on a Sunday, but many many white churches you can't, of course. Uh, one of the things I've done in, in many spaces I'm in um, is put on, even online, I've said, hey, look, I don't I actually don't debate. I don't do debates because I don't, I'm not into that. I don't think they really produce anything. But if you want a dialogue, I remember when uh, Ahmad Aubrey was killed, I said, if anyone is confused about why this is not just another person of color that's been killed but is systemic, let me know slide into my DMs and ask me questions. Do you know how many people had never talked and never read anything about some of these laws that are creating situations Mm. where it would be questionable whether or not it was legal to shoot someone while running? Mm. No, I mean, they're just... and, And we can talk for a long time about why people do or don't know things, but when I've made myself available to a dialogue like that, I've had some fascinating conversations, and I've learned how to understand where people are coming from and that's helped me in conversations because if I know kind of where they're coming from, I can dialogue with them better. 
And if someone starts to debate, I say, oh, nope, sorry, I, I don't I don't actually do that. But when I've said I'm actually here for a, a dialogue and that's actually not going to happen on my Facebook wall, you know, yeah. I'm going to block that. <laughs> uh, but here's where here's where there's some space where no one's going to judge you for the ignorance and whatever you're feeling. Um, people did that for me. They helped me learn stuff. They're still doing that for me. Mm. How can I create a space where you can, like you said, like learn alongside, learn, learn with. And um, if pastors are, can do that with just a few people and have one on ones or smaller groups of conversation, I really think that tipping point can happen for people. And mm. and then at some point, you know, I think we just have to be willing to say, is there a point in which uh, there's too much at stake to not say what needs to be said? And mm. there's too much at stake to not even at least try to move towards these conversations. And I know that means it costs people's jobs. And I know that means it costs money in the offering plate. But, uh, you know, I'm, look, I'm a, I'm like an, a, you know, a little Bible belt girl. Like my, my, my family's actually from Louisiana. So I still have that thought in my head. When I see Jesus at the end of my life, what am I going to say? You know? Right, right, and not, right. And not trying to like, you know, shame, not out of shame, but like when I see Jesus face to face, I mean, he, he's here, he's with us. What am I going to say? I did, I wasn't willing to talk about or wasn't willing to say or who I wasn't willing to mm. be an ally to. What do mm. I want? Not what other people think, not what, what my congregation thinks or mm-hmm. my conservative family or my liberal family thinks, but the, the the king of kings is the only one I answer to at the end of the day. What did I do or say or not do or not say? That's my that's the actual question I think pastors, all of us, need to boil it down to. And if it means we end up looking for new jobs, it might mean that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So I just want to encourage somebody that you we've got to, to, to have – to let the Holy spirit lead us through some of these things, because if we get shut down and say, Hey, we're not going to touch it. We're not going to broach it. We're not going to go there. Gosh, man, (laughs) I just think, I think that there's something that we could, we could miss out on the power of the Holy spirit moving into these spaces that are bringing freedom for people. Yeah, I I love that. I think that's great. And I think that will be helpful to some of the people that are that are listening, that they can share this message with um, maybe some of their pastors or pastors that are listening. Um, yeah. But I'm glad that you have invited people into your DMs and mm-hmm. into your private space so they can stay out of mine. No. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, you know, but, but you know what? That's what a part of being an ally and accomplice is in this is that, you know, don't expect people of color to do that because it is, um, it's draining. It's not to say that it's not draining for you, but to kind of have to reaffirm and, um, you know, humanize and teach all the time. And so when we can get allies that can say, Hey, I'm available, you know, don't, don't bother them. Come at me, you know, with yeah. that. I, I, I can appreciate that. And I, I, I love that. Now, not only are you pastoring a church, leading groups, doing a podcast and all the other things, <laughs> you done wrote a book. <laughs> yeah, right. Crazy. You wrote a book and tell us a little bit, you know, about um, your book, Make a Move. Yeah, so it's interesting. So the the subtitle is How to Stop Wavering and Make Decisions in a Disorienting World. Mm. And when I suggested this as a title for a book I'd like to write, it was before the pandemic was a twinkle in anyone's <laughs> eye. It was before the the, you know, response and the revolution that came from George Floyd's murder. I mean, so <laughs> guess when I had sat down to write it though? It was after the pandemic started. I had it all outlined and ready to go. hadn't started writing it. So I wrote most of this actually during the pandemic. Wow. And, and, um, you know, make a move. The, the reason I talk about that is that I, I know that the idea of listening to God and what does God want for me? And I'm trying to make decisions. There can be this almost like I'm going to sit and wait until God says something. And then when I receive it, I'm going to go. And kind of the premise I have here in the book is that's not what we normally see in scripture. Like for the most part, people are just kind of, especially like in Acts, they're just like, seems good to us in the Holy Spirit. Oh, the Spirit of Jesus won't let us go there. Oh, I guess we're doing that. Hey, oh, I think we're supposed to find a man from Macedonia. Never mind. Lydia, she's a woman. Okay. Like, like you know, right. it's just a lot more like, and I, I say it's not trial and error. It's trial and learn. I and, love it. And that's, I think, the the following the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the guide that Jesus promises us is looks more like that. And I and I think that disorienting and experiences of disorient, feeling disoriented, um, or Joe calls it disorientated. 
She said that's the, that's the British way to say it. <laughs> disorientated. <laughs> she said disorientated. But I think that experience is a universal one. We all experience that disorientation mm. sometimes. Yeah. But of course, we had that in a, in common this last year. Um, but I would call the process of reckoning with white privilege and um, and race and my lack of experiencing racial conversations growing up and all that. I would call that a disorienting experience. And mm. it's kind of like, if it's not disorienting, am I actually confronting it? And so what does it mean to say, okay, I can lean into that and move through that instead of saying, ooh, I don't like feeling disoriented. I'm going to turn around and go in the other direction. Mm. And so it's kind of fit the moment, whether it's the pandemic or the, the uprisings or figuring out how to take steps forward. I mean, this is really at its core. How do we listen and respond to God? Because if the God of the universe is trying to lead us, like, let's try to figure out how to follow that for real. Let's try to figure out how to try to figure out how to try to figure out how to follow this is so good. Aren't you loving this conversation? We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Friends, life is hard. And sometimes we need a little help. Navigating the stress of sudden changes in income, health complications, and or the loss of someone close can be overwhelming. Not to mention the stress of the tense time of political and social disharmony. Honestly, at this time, we all could use a little help. Well, guess what? There is help. There's help through BetterHelp.com. That's Better, H-E-L-P. BetterHelp.com makes professional counseling. It makes it accessible, affordable, and convenient for anyone who may be currently struggling with life's challenges. If that's you, you can get help anytime, anywhere. BetterHelp.com offers access to licensed, trained, and experienced and accredited psychologists, marriage and family therapists, clinical social workers, and board-licensed professional counselors. We want you to start living a happier life today as a listener. And as a Be The Bridge listener, you'll get 10% off of your first month by visiting BetterHelp.com slash Be The Bridge. Again, that's BetterHelp.com slash Be The Bridge. So you can join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. You guys, it's a difficult time and we need these tools and we need a little help to encourage us on the way. Thanks for staying with us. Let's get back to our conversation. I don't think we like, we don't like not being in control. Yeah. And I think what the pandemic led to was, hey, you're not in control. Like, you know, you you have no power in this, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that was disorienting for a lot of people. And the same thing what happens when you start doing this, this, um, this hard dive of excavating some of the ideologies and belief systems, um, you know, that we framed, um, that can feel disorienting. That's hard. That's difficult. And so we want to, when something feels hard and difficult, it, we, we equate it to being wrong. Right. You know, it's, it's wrong, you know, yeah. and I, I, I think this is so helpful um, for people because life is about turns and twists, you know, yep. Yep. Um, you, I mean, life altering decisions. I think about, I mean, who would have thought I would sit, be sitting here, you know, doing a podcast, doing what I'm doing. I mean, just by saying yes, you know, um, yeah. like the same thing, you know, with you and so many uh, people who are, are are listening. And and I love how you use that when you talk about, you know, people in the Bible is like, okay, we're going to go this way. Yeah. And I, and I was hearing, <laughs> um, um, I, I, his name just completely left me, but he's, uh, was a part of the civil rights movement. And, um, I'm going to think of his name in a minute, a minute, but I cannot think of it right now. But anyway, I heard him speak <laughs> and I was listening to him. Um, and, um, Andrew Young, and mm-hmm. I was listening to him speak and he was, you know, like you, you think like there's, there's some strategy that went into what they were doing, but when, you know, he was like, when we decided to kneel and pray, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and in the, in the midst of, you know, um, people pointing guns at us, like mm-hmm. that won't, that wasn't planned. That was like, we had to listen 
to the spirit, you know. Um, he yeah. said, we didn't know what we were doing, you know. No. We didn't know if we were going to die or not, but we went. And yeah. I remember that thing just sending chills like, it's like that thing because it, Every moment and and that I've um, taken, it's like just do the next right thing, right? Whatever right. that whatever that is, like just whatever do the that next is, right. yeah. yeah. And I think that your book um, is helping us get some practical uh, practical advice and action steps for moving through um, those type of situations. You know, I remember what, when I was a kid, I would look in the back of my Bible when I got bored. Uh-huh. Uh, during sermons, and it has those little maps of Paul's journeys. Oh, wow. And I'd like follow my finger on these little journeys. And, you know, that map was made afterwards. <laughs> like, it's not like Paul was given a map and then he knew how to follow it, you know. <laughs> but sometimes I'm like, okay, Jesus, where's my map? You give me the yeah, map, I'll start yeah, going. Yeah. I'm waiting for the map, though. So you give right. me that map. And that's just not how it, that's not how wow. your story goes. That's not my, how my story's gone. I wouldn't have done anything I'd be doing if it was about following a map. (laughs) Yeah. What do you want people to gain um, from reading, um, you know, Make the Move? What do you, you want to help people get unstuck? What else, you know, would you like people to get unstuck? Yeah, helping people get unstuck is huge because I think that we can have a lot of um, decision paralysis or like analysis paralysis, I call it sometimes, where there's so much coming at us. And the, the more that's at stake, I think the harder it is to, to move through when we feel the paralysis that we might feel. I, I think a lot of people feel that in, in bridge building. Cause it's like, okay, well, 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 is this right? What should I do? Right. And, and we could do a lot of things and turns out you're not going to do all the things you have to actually figure out how to discern the next best thing for you. Mm. Right. Like you said. And so I think that that's what I'm hoping for, for people. Um, I'm also hoping a, a lot of the book I talk about figuring out who kind of your like discernment community is. Who are the people you actually trust to make these decisions with? I'm watching more and more people as a pastor. I'm watching more and more people try to go it alone on some of this stuff, whether it's racial justice, whether it's uh, trying to find their mission and the purpose in life, whether it's job changes or uh, yeah. decisions they're making with their spouse. I'm like, listen, you and your spouse and one good friend is not a community. That's mm. just three different people. <laughs> so right. what does it mean to have those people? And I'm noticing how rare that's becoming. And so seeking that out and praying through that and saying as single people, as uh, younger people, as people that are in the empty nester stage, where are the other people that discern with us how we're going to invest our one life and what that means? And so, um, I, you know, I'm really, really not writing to any one group of people, but the fact that all of us, you know, we're going in through different transitions or we're feeling, feeling stuck. And um, another thing that I just really feel passionate about is people not settling for less than, you know, what God's mm. really inviting them into. And I'll tell you, if you actually try to say, listen, Holy Spirit, I'm up for it. What are we doing? You will never be bored. Okay? Right. <laughs> like you, 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 there, you might be a lot of things. Here I am, Lord. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But also trying to dismantle some of that, like, well, if I, God's going to have me do the last thing I want to do. No, he's not. Like, he's, he made you with the things that right. you're passionate about. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. I mean, read anybody's story in the Bible. It's not easy, but it's nothing that's worth it is. And so, you know, I just want to encourage people and, and give these tools to say, let's press into it instead of running from it and um, and and do these things with intention and keep moving and not not let the let, let it turn into like the waiting game that sometimes is less about waiting, waiting on Jesus and more about waiting, waiting in the deep waters of our fears and not actually moving towards what what God's doing. So. Yeah, and you have this process you outlined for discernment um, is a form of experimenting. Yeah. Uh, what does that look like practically? Um, the you know so and how does this fit with um, the bridge building work? Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm not a scientist, so I'm just gonna put that out there. <laughs> but you know, the scientific method is relatively simple. You know, and. It actually works really great because what are scientists doing? They're trying to answer questions they don't know the answer to. That's what they're doing. And same thing with a decision and trying to figure out how to, to step into it. And I also think that making an experiment creates a space for us to see what God might be doing in that space. And so to say relatively simple, I just kind of outline, all right, the first thing is what question are you trying to answer? What what do you already know? What research have you already done? That's what a scientist mm-hmm. would do. What's the first experiment you want to do that's going to teach you more than you know now? 
What are the steps of that experiment? And then when are you going to review what you learned? It's that simple. Mm -hmm. And I think what that can do is help us get from a place of kind of wandering and wondering to like take moving towards something. And just like anything else in life, like if you actually physically move, your vantage point is going to be different. You know, if I, if I get up and walk across the street, I can see something I couldn't see when I was in my front yard. That's, Mm -hmm. that is what movement does. It changes your vantage point. And so um, I think experiments do that. So in the book I talk about, there's lots of different types of experiments that people could do. Relational experiments, trying to figure out dynamics in uh, friendships, community, romantic relationships, you know, whatever. Uh, vocational, because that's a huge question, right? Mm-hmm. Many of us, that's a big, you know, for me, that's the one of the biggest parts of my life is thinking about vocation. Right. Um, and then missional experiments and purpose, mission and purpose. Right. Um, and kind of outlining different ways to do that. And so instead of saying, okay, I'm feeling like I'm supposed to be a bridge builder. All right, what should I do next? That's a great question. Maybe let's start with an experiment. So even picking up a resource is an experiment to say, okay, well, I have never read about this before or intentionally listening to the stories of people who had a very different life than you and perhaps grabbing a couple friends and saying, okay, we're going to spend some time this this month and we're going to listen to stories. What if this month we're going to only listen to podcasts, only read books, and only watch TV shows that are produced or written by people that aren't white? Mm. Just for a month. And then us five friends, we're all going to do that, and then we're going to get together at the end and we're going to talk about it. I like that. That would idea. be an experiment. I, mean, that I would love be, that. <laughs> wouldn't that be cool? I love and you it. you learn so much. You right, learn so right, much. Right, and, right. You know, and I just think, or another experiment could be, Instead of saying, well, I wish that I could figure out how to have, you know, deeper friendships with people who are different than me, saying, well, what if for uh, for this month, I'm going to go every week to a coffee shop in an area that's more diverse than where I live or a different type of, of, of location owned by a person who's not the same as me. And I'm going to sit and I'm going to watch and listen, not mm-hmm. like freak people out, like come and listen and sit do your work, read your book, look around, notice what's different about this coffee shop here than it would be if I was in my neighborhood. These are the types of experiments that actually shape who we are so that we're moving towards something. I'm all for people reading books. Your book is an excellent, the resources that be the bridge has, let's do it. But this isn't, bridge building is not a syllabus, everybody. Right. (laughs) Like, (laughs) hello. And it's not like some like multicultural professor is going to come give you an A or a B. Like that's not it. It's, it's a long-term thing. So read the books, watch the things, but experiment in behaviors that change and shape us. Because Uh I think we can behave our way into new thinking. And we can also think our way into new behaviors. You know, psychology would say both, both and. And so experiments. Repeat that that. again. Okay. Wait a second. Repeat that again. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So an experiment is in an, as an action. Okay. And when we take action, we behave our way into thinking differently. Right. In psychology, if you do certain things, it's going to change the way you think. Well, it's true also, if you think differently, it might change your behaviors. Like we, It's actually been debated in psychology forever, but the truth is both are true. Right. But sometimes we're like, well, I'm just going to keep thinking, 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 and hope it changes my behavior. And what I'm encouraging, and I think that's very common for, you know, I would say like dominant North American white culture is if I can just think differently, then my life will change. <laughs> and. Mm. There's also the, well, how about I take some steps of action and that will change how I think and change my experience um, and putting myself in a different vantage point. So that's what the experimenting is all about. I I get into the weeds of it in the book, but um, I think it's a concept that anyone could try tomorrow. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You got to do some work. Yeah. Yeah. You got to do do some some work. work. (laughs) And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it doesn't mean it it can't also be really good and fun and interesting and life changing, too. You know? Right. Right. Now, I want to rewind a little bit. Okay. And you talked about uh, getting married in your 30s. Yeah. And basically (laughs) trying to consolidate all your 30 year old lives. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Into this new. What has that been like? You know? And, um, uh, what has been encouraging about that and uh, what has been challenging about that? Yeah. I yeah. caught you off guard, right? I, no, no. I <laughs> I mean, I I kind of thought I was just going to do the single life. Like I was I was OK with that. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be honest, like the Holy Spirit confronted me on my independence, because mm-hmm. while that's a good thing, I think it was not it was venturing out of the good part of it. And I'm a super companion oriented person. And so I think that part of my like, you know, 
lady leader was like, I can do this. I don't need no man. But, <laughs> you know, and, and you don't, you don't. Right. But, but the question comes down to what is God inviting me into in my life? And so when I made myself available to what that might look like, I did some experiments in that area. And I talk actually about these quite a bit in the book. I talk about, uh, the, the guy that I dated before my husband and how that led to my first panic attack, trying to decide about that and didn't work out. And then uh, I met my husband online and I, another experiment that I did. And I, this is real. I told a bunch of my friends and not just like the friends that were my age, like, mm-hmm. like my week, my, like they call it a weak tie, like my okay. mom's friends or my auntie's friends I said, okay. Hey, if you introduce me to my husband, I will take you on a round trip ticket to anywhere in the United States. Ooh. Oh, maybe I need to do that. I like that. See, listen, uh-huh. it makes people not so selfish and self-focused real fast when they know that they could get something. Oh, wow. <laughs> so now in, in a lot of ways that experiment worked because not because that's how I met my husband, but because uh-huh. they actually introduced me to some very nice men who helped me learn about what I was interested in. None of them were like weirdos, like, you know, any weirder than me. And, uh-huh. you know, it was good. So it helped me. And, and so that was an experiment. And okay. there's no such thing as a failed experiment, except that one that you don't try. And then uh-huh. and then even online dating, I just saw that as an experiment, man, like one that you got to make sure you do it wise and whatever, have people accountability and whatnot, but just like anything else. And that was great. I mean, I met my husband online in a way that I was just at that point being real upfront about what I do and what I'm called to, you know, wow. in, se- in seminary, when I was in pastor school, me and my other friends that were all gals, we joke, how many dates do you go on before you tell them that you're going to be a female <laughs> pastor? Like, when do you slip that in? Uh-huh. And I was, I just resorted to, oh, he's going to know before we go out. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't have time to deal with this. You ain't wasting my time. <laughs> yeah, I don't waste my time. And also like, I, it's not my battle to fight, you know, right, right. the person needs to be on board with what we're doing here. Yeah. And so, you know, in the end, God brought me my husband, JD, who is a pastor's kid. His dad's uh-huh. a pastor. And I kid you not had dated a female pastor before me. <laughs> that is <laughs> for real. He's got a type and whatever that is is fine and he's and he's not a pastor he's not called to ministry except for you know like everyone else in my church he serves in the church he does a lot of awesome stuff but Uh uh he's he's a filmmaker actually and storyteller so that's what he does in marketing and different things like that which is a great pair for me but um so i'm a storyteller in the pulpit and he's a storyteller on film and i love it it's amazing but man yeah you've got some you've got first of all him so he's he's also white but we have some very different cultures. Turns out, <laughs> you know, turns out you can grow up 15 minutes from each other. Wow. And and both be in the same kind of like brand of church uh-huh. and be very different. And so that's when people are often talking about how we are forgetting to ex- explore what it means mm-hmm. to have culture when we're white people. Mm. Hello, look at your marriage. Okay. <laughs> like, look at your in-laws and say... It's not that they're crazy and you're normal. There is no normal. They have a culture that's different than yours. And there's some good and bad things about some of the things they've experienced. Right. And so that's a lot when you're 34, 35 and you're going, whoa, we didn't grow up together. We, we're trying to relearn some stuff. And man, it's a lot. <laughs> so, and so you met him online. Yeah. And you were 15 minutes. Yeah, we were 15 minutes apart for our whole lives, basically. Since we and were did you kids. know each other? Did you know no, each other? No, we never met. But oh we my had, goodness. Well, we had 20 Facebook friends in common. So I went to those people and I said, you could have gotten a trip. Wow. <laughs> but you but you weren't thinking. You and most of our thinking. friends, they, they said, you know what? I never would have set you two up. But now that you're together, I totally make sense. That's almost verbatim. They every missed person. it. And they, they missed the trip. Yeah. 15 yeah. minutes. Oh, yeah, my goodness. Right? But that he's a, he, he's a, you know, like they say, behind every... Great woman, there's often the guy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know how they always say that. They always say that about men about male leaders. Yeah, yeah. With women. No. Look, look, look everybody. You flipped it. You flipped it, yeah, right? Look everybody. Like uh Latasha and I can both be leading what married or single, man, it's fine. Listen, don't don't do that. But better make sure that if you're gonna partner your life with somebody, they're gonna be an asset to what you're doing. Though. Exactly. Because exactly. that's what that's that's what's at stake. You know? Yeah. I'll tell yeah. people time and time again as a pastor. There is no point in hitching your life to someone else's if they're not going to help you serve God better. Mm. That's it. Like, what's uh. the point? It's too hard. 
Say it again. Say it again for there the people no in the point. back. There is no point. If they're not going to help you serve God better, then it's too much work. Like, that's the thing. Being married, wow. too much work unless it's going to empower you and you can empower them to make a difference wow. in the kingdom. I just don't – I don't see another good purpose for it. Like, just to just to keep populating the earth is not a good enough reason, to be honest. I, in my opinion, you know. Wow. In my, in my opinion. And I know you get – and I love how, like, just confident you are in that. And I – um I, I love the fact that you're saying, you know, hey, we have some dogs, you know, I, I, we're not going to have any children. And, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. you know, and, 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 and now what else? <laughs> you know, yeah. and, you know because that's like people feel like there's this formula or there's this model mm-hmm. that you have to follow. And, you know, whether you decide to get married or not or, or you want to get married or not, you know, all yeah. those different things. Everybody has a different journey. And I think yeah. we need to stop really trying to box people in and make them fit in our little right. um, little Christian pocket. And, Absolutely. and how, you know, yeah. nice and neat. <laughs> right, right. Because married people, man, you better have other people in your life than just that person. They can't yeah. be everything. Yeah. Single people, you need yeah. those people too. Uh-huh. Kid, people with children, don't you want some of us to not have children so we can help you out? <laughs> right. Yes, you do. So that's it. We have to, yeah. but we have so, we're so far, especially, uh, you know, white culture is so far from supporting each other collectively. Mm. And some of the struggles in mental health and anxiety that I'm seeing it's mm-hmm. different for every space, but when I look at, you know, when I look critically at my own culture, I think part of it's because we're so isolated and mm. ruggedly independent and expecting then this one other human being or these children to fulfill our lives. And there's mm. not any collective this sense of, you know, maybe it'd be good if multiple people were trying to help you discipline those kids, mm. <laughs> you know, wow. and you see yeah. that, you see that beautifully in other cultures. And so I think wow. there's a lot that we can learn from that. I love it. I love it. And I mean, even you mentioning white culture, like some people will listen to this and be like, what, what culture? Like, what, <laughs> yeah. what are you talking about? What are you? But if they've been through any of the Be The Bridge information, yeah. they will get that and understand yeah. that. I mean, what, you know, there's, there's a lot happening um, in our society. And I, you know, you're a pastor and I know you're leading and I, and, um, I just have to mention this, especially with the work that you're doing. Um, there's a lot of people um, in the work that we're doing right now, um, specifically people of color, to see some of the um, the lash um, as it relates to racial justice work, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love for you to, and some of the pushback of, you know, um, Marxism and mm-hmm. um, communism mm-hmm. and and leftists and what's the other one? CRT. Everything yeah, is CRT yeah. now. Uh, someone posted a, a, a passage from Ezekiel and someone said, that's CRT. I'm like, what? So now Ezekiel <laughs> is CRT. You guys have lost your mind. Like, what in the world? Yeah. I mean, what... I just want to have a moment for you to just speak into that. What encouragement do you have for um, people of color and then also for um, people who are getting some of that pushback? Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, look how many isms we can come up with so we don't have to deal with racism. Exactly. (laughs) Whoops. What? Hey, (laughs) everybody. (laughs) Yeah. Like you said, um, we can we don't have to look too far back in history to see how uh trying to deflect into mm-hmm. um it's a form of gaslighting to be honest right to say yeah. well no this isn't true we're going to start talking about these other problems like for instance marxism or co- communism or whatever fears people might have that deflecting from what what somebody is trying especially when what someone is trying to say is their lived experience as mm-hmm. a person of color i mean that's a form of abuse in yeah. my opinion to mm-hmm. deflect away from what someone's saying before you fully heard what they're saying sure i mean when it comes to crt or different different theories that you know, with the there's a bunch of different opinions about things. Everything we take with a grain of salt, everything we take critically, we we you know even as we approach scripture, there's lots of interpretations. How do we have some fear and trembling and humility that we are not the people who know everything? And perhaps when we're trying to so quickly, you know, I'll use the word like demonize or put something into a category that we haven't really learned about. How many people know what CRT stands for that are out there campaigning against it? <laughs> I mean, just to be honest. <laughs> Like, and who developed it? Is? Yeah, yeah. Who developed it and why yeah. it was developed? <laughs> like. Yeah, but 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 besides, kind of the like you said, the like lash. I, yeah, I had a conversation with a gentleman, and and he was he was pushing back not on CRT necessarily. He was talking about, you know, why why does why why do I have to even think about what happened to Dante Wright? Why 
why does that have anything to do with me? You know, I, he was doing that kind of thing. I just listened to him and I said, what do you think it is about you and me that has this part of me that just so badly wants to not be implicated in something? Mm. And, and as, as we believe that Jesus is sitting here, what would I say to him about how deeply I want to not be a part of X, Y, Z problem? What does that mean? What let's, can we, I love this idea. Can we interrogate our thoughts Mm. and say, what is that? What, why is that need? Don't, don't push it away. It's there, right? Why, why do I feel this need to defend myself so desperately? And what does that mean in light of the gospel of a God who has taken everything for me on a cross and has sacrificed everything for me, who did nothing to deserve it? And I am so, you know, vehemently not wanting to be implicated or complicit in something before I could even think critically about whether or not that's true. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'd say to other leaders like me, um, we've got to start with ourselves. You know, I, I was able to ask that gentleman that conversation, that question, because I'm asking it myself. Why is it that I don't want it to be my fault? Why is that always the reaction that I have? And if it doesn't come out of my mouth, it's somewhere in there, you know, why, mm-hmm. why is it that I'm, don't always feel like I need to confront that bias that I notice in myself. Mm-hmm. And and just not out of trying to shame, but to be curious about it. Like, could we be curious about why that's the case? Instead of just saying, is it true or not? Or can we hammer on to these things and jump on them? I, I just think there's some introspection and some reflection. And and when I asked that that gentleman that question, he, he said, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, said, mm-hmm. I think that's a, just a really important question. Mm-hmm. And And if Jesus was sitting here right now, what do you think he would say? about how you've been speaking about Dante Wright and what happened. Mm. Well, I don't know. So I just think, I don't know for sure either, but we believe the spirit of Jesus is with us in these conversations. And so what, what about what these lawyers have learned that have resulted in the critical race theory makes us think that there's nothing God might've been doing through them to bring wisdom. Like I have to be sure that they could not possibly, well, cause they're not Christians. Wait a second. Do we think that someone that God is not you working through people who are made in his image in every field, regardless of if they acknowledge him or not? It doesn't mean that anything's absolute truth and all that kind of stuff. But are, how are we not willing to hold space for a discussion before we've already judged it from any perspective? And I, I say that to myself as I listen to some of these folks say stuff. I'm going, mm-hmm. how did you get here? Well, let's ask some more questions and yeah. see how we can get there. And um, but I, but I don't. I th- I think of leaders of color, you know, I just want to say, if you need to exit those conversations, just do it. Like that is not, I, I know that some people, you know, Latasha, I know you feel called to these spaces, but um, we, we, we as white leaders have to take, take into some, come into some of those spaces and absorb some of that mm-hmm. because it is, it is, it is damaging to people. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sorry that that's the case. I'm sorry about how that's experienced. And, I see that in in the culture that I'm a part of, I see that desire to be the exception, you know, that mm-hmm. American exceptionalism. And and I see that in myself. And so I, I know why we get there and it's terrible and I'm so sorry. And I'm grateful for the work that so many people do. But I also want to say, you can go out, you can take a break. You can <laughs> you can yeah. exit stage left. Just leave them in here with me and we'll, we'll keep talking because yeah. it is, uh, it's, it's been so painful and yeah. I just think it must be exhausting. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. That's so good. And I know that's going to really encourage um, our community that's listening that is like, does anybody get it? Like, this is so crazy, you know, um, to us to hear this and how um, uh, how this is, you know, going into mainstream now, you know, and all those different things. But um, what is bringing you hope right about now? What are some things that is bringing you hope Oh man, there's, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things, you know, my, my church starting to get back to worshiping together and, uh-huh. uh, just realizing that, you know, I know, I know not everybody is, is a musical worship person, but I think there's something the Holy Spirit can do through worshiping together in that brings healing. And so I'm praying for other churches to be able to start doing that. We, we, we were trying to be real safe. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of time we weren't together. So we're just beginning to that. So that's been giving me a lot of hope and a lot of life. And, uh, you know, um, I continue to follow all of what's happening in the response to George Floyd, you know, mm-hmm. having just had the one year anniversary here, 
there were some really peaceful and wonderful celebrations that happened that were sober celebrations, but celebrations nevertheless, because uh, a person's life is worth celebrating. Mm -hmm. And so much came from that, that moment and that experience that no one should have had to die to be able to, to move forward. But I feel like there was like some, there were celebrations and there was also remembrances and Mm. there was something really life giving about hitting that one year mark and seeing how many people were still saying, this is what we're doing. And conversations I've had with people that said it wasn't until that happened that I made the commitment that this is a lifelong process for me. Mm. And um, I heard a story the other day by this woman named Janelle Austin, black woman who has been been invited by the community to be the caretaker of George Floyd Square, which is the the exact intersection where George was uh, murdered. And there's still a memorial to him and people are are holding space there every single day this is a place of prayer. Like there, mm. there are people that are, are praying yeah. and leading um, leaders of color that are leading in that space. And um, Janelle is a Jesus follower and is an incredible woman. People probably don't even realize like the type of work she's doing. The idea of caretaking, they take every memorial that's left and before it can get rained on or anything, they they're documenting it and they're taking it and they're putting it in and, and, and caretaking for all of the, emotions that are being poured out in this space is incredible. I know you stopped by when you were, Mm -hmm. when you were here. And, um, I heard her talking on the radio the other day. I got a chance to talk with her once earlier this year, but I heard her talking on the radio and I knew it was her just like listening to her voice. And then they said, Oh yes, this is Janelle Austin. And she was telling the story about how a man, a white man had maybe like a 20 something had gotten a little tipsy, gotten drunk and he had spray painted something on, on one of the murals. And, he was invited the next day because he didn't remember it happening because he was so out of it. He was devastated. And he was invited the next day by Janelle and some of the others to enter into a restoration process Mm. to, to restore him from the action that he took that was clearly coming from some deep place in himself because he was not totally aware what would, what's going on in, in, in your soul that this Mm. happened. And I know that this, this man comes from a place of faith and she was describing this process of how he volunteered to caretake at the corner then with them for a number of days and a number of weeks. And the first day he was there, he was doc- taking some of the, the notes that had been written and he was putting them into these notebooks where they're keeping them and, and they're writing stuff down. And she watched him grab the first one and it said, uh, black lives are made in the image of God. And she watched him like hold this piece of paper. And she said, I could see on his face this realization, I had desecrated the face of God. Like that wasn't just Mm. George Floyd's face. That wasn't, it was a person made in the image of God. And she said, I just watched this like transcendent moment where he realized like the divinity and what it means that God has created all these people in, in God's image. And that's what it means when you spray paint onto something that's in the honor of someone whose life has been lost. Mm. And I think about that and I think that gives me so much life. Like that gives me so much life because of the work that Janelle is doing and because a restoration process like that can happen to a guy who's got a substance problem and that we can be, that story got told in public radio. You know, I just feel like there's so much that, that can happen if, if like with make a move, like if we can just say, God, I want to be on your heels, what are you doing and how can I respond? If that was our orientation every day, like that just gives me so gets me excited. If we could wake up every day and say, all right, I got to do the I got stuff on my calendar. But in the midst of those things, God, what are you doing and how do you want me to join in? I love it. That's where we're going to figure out how we can leverage privilege and be people who bring hope and help and learn. We can do that in our everyday space, the spaces we're already in. That just that stuff gets me excited. Yeah. God, what are you doing and how do I respond if we approached every I mean, question with that, you know, because we know that God is moving and doing something. I mean, we sense it and, mm-hmm. and I, and I hope people do not miss it. Like my, my prayer is for people not to make the same historical mistakes. Like I don't want to see anyone miss it. And I wish yeah. we did more of the restorative justice, like what was done to this young man. Like I would love to see, um, us move toward, toward that restoring people back to community, loving them back into community. And um, this work is hard. It's difficult. You're a pastor, you're a wife, you're doing a lot of things. How are you taking care of yourself? How are you practicing joy and self-care? 
Oh man, that's such a good question. I I love stand up paddleboarding. Oh wow! <laughs> Try that I know, once. <laughs> I, listen, listen. Like I, if I can get out in nature, like I told you earlier, it's been it. hot. But if I can do <laughs> stuff like that, oh, it's so good. And I'll tell you another thing. I need to sleep. I don't know what it is with some people saying I need six and a half hours. I'm like, give me, <laughs> give me eight hours of sleep. I, I this whole sleep, right? this whole pandemic, I got I got some solid seven and a half, eight hours, and I was oh, not good. ashamed. If that meant I didn't get up till nine, whatever. Like I need to get it. So I, there's little things like that where you just got to say, look, I need my sleep. I'm a grown woman, but I need to sleep. Okay. <laughs> That's what I need to do. So I, I need to sleep. It. I need to do that. And that gives me the energy to ask those questions about what the spirit might be doing. And uh, that's, that's <laughs> right. been good. Because you, you had sleep, right? You could say, yeah. okay, what is the spirit doing? Because I've had a little sleep. <laughs> Otherwise you ask that question and all of a sudden you're asleep. You're out yeah. of sleep. You can't even. So yeah, that's been good. Just getting out in, getting out in nature. And, and I like getting out in the snow too. But uh, okay. those are the things I've just had to keep that going. That's what it's been for me for sure. Well, it's so good to talk with you and to to give our audience a glimpse of who you are. Um, you know, go pick up her book um, and just, you know, follow her on all the socials. We'll post everything. Yeah. But I'm just so grateful for your work and what you're doing um, in Minnesota. And, um, you know, one other thing I was going to um, I was going to say, you know, like I know that there's some other things you like to do mm-hmm. that I didn't know that oh. you like to do. I was impressed. You just remodeled some stuff in your house. right? Yeah, that is that. I mean, I know not everybody would think how home remodeling is life giving and self care. But for me, it is. I uh-huh. love that kind of stuff. I wouldn't call myself a designer, but I like to pick up my own design and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Come on my Instagram, Pastor Stuff. Uh, and you can see my, you know, home renovation, my own little HGTV show. Okay. Uh, we okay. remodeled. Yeah. We remodeled the whole first level of a house and my brother and I did a lot of the work ourselves. And it's, it's really I'm, fun because you just, you know, you get to see something, get it completed, which doesn't happen in church ministry a lot. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. people aren't projects, so you don't get to check them off a list, but yeah. I got to check stuff off a list and <laughs> got to see something go from zero to hero and put in my backsplash and. It I was gotta a blast. see the. I gotta. I didn't. I never went back to see the finished pro, um, projects. Um, I just know, like, I like to decorate, but like, yeah. you were like knocking down, like removing cabinets and knocking down walls. I'm like, wait a minute, this is like demolition. <laughs> like, what is happening? Man, that saved oh my, my life over this last winter. Oh wow! Because I got to do all that stuff, active stuff in my house, my new house, and so it's almost done. So the okay. ex- the the final final steps will probably be done this weekend and then I can post all my before and after pictures. But okay. Okay. So man, I didn't what miss a, it. I didn't no, miss no, it. No, no, okay, no. Okay, yeah. Okay, there was okay. a couple before and afters along the way, but what, I mean, what a privilege. I mean, I'm really passionate about housing and, uh, you know, like I mentioned in Minnesota, housing disparities are huge, just like education uh-huh. disparities. And I'm really passionate about affordable housing and this different stuff. And so learning about how to do things in my house is just a part of that passion too. And right. getting to be a part of that and encouraging other people to take steps towards home ownership and figuring out how to do that. Um, like I was 25 year old single gal the first time I bought a house. Right. And you know, let's be honest, that was because my mom had a signature that helped me do that. Right. That, that's a big deal. Yeah. So what does yeah. it look like for us to have those conversations? So I feel like it's, it's a thing that God's given me like a passion and a joy that mm-hmm. I get so excited to see other people step into also. So yeah, kind of a, kind of not the most typical hobby that a like gal pastor <laughs> might have, but you know, you, I might, love you it. might find me with some power tools. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you for joining us on the Be The Bridge uh, podcast. I mean, I'm so grateful that you're a bridge builder and most importantly, that you are a follower of Christ. So uh, love you. And love you too. It was thank you so much. You. Really was. Okay. Thanks for having me. Great. Go to the donors table if you'd like to hear the unedited version of this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Be The Bridge podcast. To find out more about the Be The Bridge organization and or to become a bridge builder in your community, go to bethebridge.com. Again, that's bethebridge.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, remember to rate and review it on this platform and share it with as many people as you possibly can. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Today's show was edited, recorded, and produced by Trayvon Potts at Integrated Entertainment Studios in Metro Atlanta, Georgia. The host and executive producer is Latasha Morrison. Lauren C. Brown is the senior producer. 
and transcribed by Sarah Conitzer. Please join us next time. This has been a Be The Bridge production.